Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, USG? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Noah Weiss, and I'm excited today because this is our holiday edition podcast, and we'll be unpacking the question of, is Jesus the promised Messiah? And we'll be doing this by diving in to Old Testament prophecies. I know everybody loves prophecy, uh, so it should be you know quite the, quite the exciting conversation, but some of you might be wondering, you know, what is even the point of asking this question, right? So so many of us grow up in, obviously, the Western culture of Christianity, where it's assumed that Jesus is the Messiah. So isn't this an obvious answer? Isn't this question pretty uh, well known? Uh, and certainly in the Christian faith, we acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. But for the first century Jews, and even Jews today, a question that's pivotal is answering the question of, is Jesus the Messiah that God promised through his prophets throughout the Old Testament? And for those of you that may not be aware uh, or not as familiar with the Old Testament, God ordained and and raised up prophets uh, to to speak about the future Messiah that would come to Israel. Um, and, And those predictions were very clear and very well known by first century Jews and teachers of the law. And so this question is a very big deal, um, you know, certainly in the first century and for us now. You know, I think one of the greatest ills in the American church is a lack of knowledge of understanding why we believe Jesus to be the Messiah, why we trust our faith, what foundation our faith is built on, and the confidence God has given us through his word to know that these truths are in fact true. Um, One really awesome part of scripture we see Uh, In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, that when Paul and his partner Silas are teaching the people of Berea about Jesus being the Messiah, we see that the people of Berea search the scriptures day after day to test the teaching of Paul and Silas. And so this was a well-known thing in the early church. Um, It certainly was to understand the connection between Old Testament prophecy and Jesus fulfilling those in, in effect, uh, being the promised Messiah that God had been uh, prearranging and, and predicting for many years. And so one really awesome thing that I want to highlight is it's hard to determine exactly how many uh, Messianic prophecies are within the Old Testament, but Alfred Edersheim, I think that's how you say the last name, uh, counted nearly 456 prophecies in the Old Testament. And Alfred, if you're curious, is an Old Testament a Bible scholar, and so his full-time job is to study the Old Testament. And so there's nearly 456 prophecies in the Old Testament, and we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. 
And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as the inheritance, and through the son, he created the universe. So our understanding of this is that in the Old Testament, God used prophecy to speak to the nation of Israel, and many of these prophecies predicted the coming of the Messiah. And so the Messiah was something that was long awaited in Israel. It was long predicted. It was long known that a Messiah would come. And these prophecies are the way that Israel would know that their Messiah had in fact come. And so what we know about Jesus is he has fulfilled nearly uh, 318 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Now the question that is obviously going to come up is you might be wondering, What about the other 150 prophecies um, that are in the Old Testament? Well, there are 456, but many of these are repeat prophecies. And so Isaiah may write something that's similar to Jeremiah, and therefore Jesus kind of hits two birds with one stone in fulfilling a prophecy there. And then secondly, some of these prophecies uh, are future prophecies, right? For example, we read in Isaiah 11, uh, 6 through 8, it says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together, The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay with the cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Now certainly we know that it's not recommended for your child to put their hand in a cobra nest right now in the world we live in. What this prophecy is predicting is that at Jesus' second coming, when he brings about the new kingdom and the new age, there will be a time when there's peace between nature and humanity and the world at large. And there will be peace amongst animals and humans and and the different um, things there. So certainly this is a future prophecy about the second coming. Um, So a lot of these exist, and that's why there are that um, are those 150 prophecies that have yet to be <clears throat> uh, fulfilled. So my goal in the next 30 minutes or so is to reveal to you guys the divine nature of the scriptures, right? We can know without a doubt that Jesus is God's Messiah if, if we take the time to understand the prophecies that he has laid out for us in the Old Testament. Um, and I promise you this will be worth your time. So Where I want to begin is I want to begin in helping us understand types of prophecies. Uh, There's two main types of prophecies that we find in the Old Testament. And the first is obvious, right? This is what we would expect in prophecy. It's it's direct prophecies. These are clear-cut prophecies that are fulfilled exactly as they're written. Okay, for example... A direct prophecy fulfilled by Christ is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And Jesus actually fulfills this prophecy when he rides the donkey colt into Jerusalem, which is found in Matthew 21, uh, 7, which says, They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. So certainly this is direct, right? Zechariah prophesies that the Messiah would come uh, riding on a, on a colt or a donkey colt, 
And uh, Jesus does exactly that, right? There's, there's an exact direct correlation of what Jesus does to what is prophesied. Um, secondly, the other type of prophecy is biblical typology, otherwise known as type. Um, these types are also known as prophetic symbols. And a great example of this, a biblical typology or prophetic symbols, is Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Um, as we all know, right, growing up in, in church, or most of us, is when Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish, uh, Jesus fulfills this type or symbol when he spends three days in the grave. Now, obviously, Jesus did not spend three days in the belly of a whale, <clears throat> but rather he spent three days uh, in the grave. And so Jonah's three-day tribulation in the whale was a symbol for Christ's three days in the grave, right? A, a type or a prophetic symbol is the point of that prophecy. So it's really important to understand this distinction as we explore how Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, because there are a lot of types or prophetic symbols that represent Christ that he doesn't exactly fulfill, right? Jesus was not in the belly of a whale, but the three days in the belly of a whale does represent what Christ did in three days in the grave. So I think a really important distinction there to understand the way that God uses prophecy and how it can be beneficial to us as the readers. Uh, secondly, I think a huge part of understanding prophecy is, is knowing Jesus' perspective on prophecy. Did Jesus have anything to say? Was he aware of these messianic prophecies? Well, certainly, uh, you know, God wrote the scriptures, therefore uh, Jesus knows because he wrote it. But I think something really important to understand is the focus Jesus had on Old Testament prophecy. And we see one of my favorite uh, parts of scripture is Luke chapter 24. Uh, two of Jesus' followers are walking along the road to Emmaus. Uh, this is after Jesus' death and directly after the, the women see him resurrected at the tomb. And so this is just when all of Jesus' followers are finding out that he's in fact resurrected, right? So this is a pretty pivotal moment uh, in the Gospels. And Jesus is talking with them, right? Jesus meets these two followers on the road. He's having a conversation with them. But God did something really unique here in that he kept the followers from recognizing Jesus' resurrected body. And so they have no idea who this man is walking alongside of them. You know, Jesus plays dumb. He's like, hey, what's going on in, in Jerusalem? And they're like, you live under a rock? Like, <laughs> Jesus and Nazareth was killed, right? Like this this whole ordeal. And so um, what I really find amazing, I'll read this this part of the, of the scriptures, but, um, you know, his followers are showing a certain level of confusion. They don't understand. They're very, um, they're losing hope. They feel uh, downtrodden because their their Messiah or Savior has been killed and they think he's dead forever. Um, and so they have minimal hope. And this is what Jesus responds with in Luke 24, uh, verses 25 through 27. He says, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. To me, it's, it's really, it's, it, it says a lot that Jesus took the time to walk through the scriptures with these followers to help them understand 
who the Messiah was supposed to be. I think it shows a lot about the power in God's word and the importance that God puts on his word. You know, he could have done a million things to convince them of, of why the Messiah had to be killed and crucified, yet he uses uh, prophecy. And so Jesus had a, a very keen awareness that prophecy was the vehicle that God had used to outline his his Messiah. So this is something that we really have to be keen on. It's something we really have to understand as we continue um, to progress through this podcast is Jesus had a definite understanding and a definite commitment to knowing that he was the fulfillment of everything God had predicted in the Old Testament. So as we move forward, keep that in the back of your minds that if you're team Jesus, you got to be team prophets. And that's a big part of of all of this here. So I want to shift now into the prophecies, into the prophets, and helping us better understand what are some of these prophecies. I think that's really what I want to tap into today is, you know, we have these prophecies, we have these uh, these prophets that wrote down some pretty incredible things, and I won't go through all of them. It'd take us hours, but I will go through some that I think are very valuable in helping us understand um, just the uh, predicting power that these prophets had from God to predict the coming Messiah. So where I'll start is with some, uh, um, I'll start with some numbers and some statistics for us uh, here to help us better understand really how incredible it is that Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. And so there was a professor at Westmont College who actually took the time to calculate the probability that a man would fulfill just eight of the 300-plus Messianic prophecies by chance, right? So just eight of these, right? Eight of 300, right? He's, he's calculating the probability of this man by chance without trying to, uh, fulfilling eight of 300 prophecies. So what the professor did is he included his students and even outside skeptics in this study to ensure that his numbers were accurate and conservative and without bias, um, so I, I found that really amazing when I was reading reading the article about this, is just how uh, far this professor went to ensure that this would be an accurate assessment of the numbers. And so um, lastly as well, he shared his findings with the American Scientific Affiliation, who determined that his findings were dependable and accurate. Um, and it's really amazing that the, the professor and his team found that the probability of a person by chance, remember that this is by like random happenstance. You know, he just, this man accidentally fulfills prophecies. The chance of that happening for just eight of 300 would be one in 10 to the 17 power. That's the chance. One in 10 to the 17 power. And so to illustrate how vast that number is, the professor shared a scenario in which someone would take 10 to the 17 silver dollars. So, 10 with 17 zeros, silver dollars. That's a ton of silver dollars. And lay these silver dollars all across the state of Texas. And there's so many that they would cover the state up to two feet deep, the entire state of Texas. I mean, think about that. Two feet deep in every inch of the state. That's how many silver dollars there are. Uh, and, And the second part of it is that one of these silver dollars would be uniquely marked. So there'd be like a unique marking on it and that one silver dollar would be, quote-unquote, mixed thoroughly. Like, you can't really mix uh, silver dollars that are in the ground. But just for the example, 
you mix them up thoroughly like you're mixing up names in a hat so that they're all dispersed evenly throughout the ground. And next, a blindfolded man would walk into the state of Texas and be told that he had one chance to pick up the unique silver dollar. One chance. And this is how improbable it is that Jesus would fulfill only eight Old Testament prophecies by chance. And as I told you guys earlier, there's 318, roughly, prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his time on earth. So you think about this, right? And, and, and obviously, you know, faith is something that is trust. Faith is something that is, is putting your, your trust in God, despite the things you don't understand. But God gives us assurance. And I think this is one of those examples where I want us to stop and think, what an assurance God has given us. Wow, like, man, I just I had to just stop and think about it. Like, for just eight, it's that improbable. But then you make it 318, and you just sit back and think how real this actually is, how amazing this actually is, and how impossible it is that these prophecies became reality, right? And so that's why I shared this this whole um, story and why I shared what this professor uh, researched, because I think it matters to have confidence in your Messiah. I think it has so much value to believe what you say you believe and have confidence that it's true. So um, hopefully that was helpful and hopefully you weren't confused by that story. Um, but really what I want to do for the, for the rest of the podcast is walk through some of the key prophecies that Jesus actually fulfilled uh, in the Old Testament. Um, and, and we'll discuss obviously both prophetic symbols or the types that we talked about as well as direct prophecies that I think really stand out to me um, that Jesus fulfilled. So we'll begin with prophetic symbols, right? And there's two that I chose that I think just stand out among the rest um, as, as the most obvious um, prophetic symbols of Jesus. And, and they're both quite amazing, right? And as I read through them, I think you will have quite the, you'll, you will know these stories. These stories are not, you know, they're very well broadcasted in, in the church. But the first one, it's found in Numbers chapter 21. And kind of the context of Numbers 21 is God's people are actually complaining about their lack of resources in the wilderness near Edom. Um, so they're kind of moving out of Egypt, right? The Lord delivered them from the hand of the Pharaoh. Uh, amazing uh, miracles happened during that. And they're, they're in the wilderness now. This is the, the wilderness stage of the Israelites. And they are disgruntled with the manna God is providing um, they're upset with the food quality. They're upset with the lack of water. They're, they're just really not happy with the whole situation. And so the Lord responds in judgment by sending poisonous snakes among them, right? And so these snakes obviously bite the people, cause people to die. They're causing illness. And then the people respond and say to Moses, hey, would you pray that the Lord would take away the snakes? And, and Moses certainly prays to the Lord. And we see God's response in Numbers 28, verses 8 through 9, he says, Then the Lord told him, him being Moses, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. First of all, I really just want to highlight and applaud Moses for his incredible faith for making a bronze snake. <laughs> you know, I think like 
if I was in that situation and people are dying from snake bites and God told me to make a bronze snake, I'd be like, what is going on? So applaud Moses for his faith there. But I really want to highlight just the, the, the biblical typology that God uses here to represent what Christ would be for his people. Uh, first of all, you, you see that the poisonous snake was attached to a pole, which I, I find to be pretty incredible as, as Christ was put on a cross. Very similar devices there of uh, being on a pole, being on a cross, and then simply looking at the bronze snake with faith, right? Trusting that the bronze snake is going to heal the people, and then they would be healed. Um, there was no works involved. There was no um, really medical treatment involved. It was simply looking at the bronze snake by faith and in in that the people were granted healing. Um, this is a direct prophetic symbol to Christ, that we can look at him by faith and trust that his a sacrifice on the cross would be enough to heal us from our spiritual errors and spiritual ills. Um, so just a really, I think, amazing prophetic symbol that God uses to predict the future of what Christ would be doing on the cross. Um, it, it's almost like, you know, you think about just God's in nature, right? And, and obviously God is eternal. God is never changes. Um, through His character always remains the same. He's steadfast. And we think about the ways that God responds to his people, it's very similar. I mean, there's so many of these prophetic symbols, and I'll, and I'll share another one in a few minutes, but we just think about this. You know, God's character never changes. He heals his people by their faith. You think about Genesis 15, when, you know, Moses believes God's promise for a child. You know, God credits righteousness to Moses. You can read that directly, Genesis 15, 6. God credits righteousness, or excuse me, to Abraham, not Moses. God credits righteousness to Abraham um, because Abraham believed his promise that he would have a child with his barren wife, right? So amazing that God has always kind of had that that same uh, character to him. So I love this prophetic symbol. And a very similar one we find in Exodus 12. I love Exodus chapter 12. You know, God is actually planning to execute judgment on the land of Egypt because of their false gods, because of their evil. Uh, You can read this directly in Exodus uh, 12, verse 12. And he would pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and every firstborn male animal in the land. And because God had favor over the Israelites, he commanded commanded them, excuse me, to sacrifice a one-year-old male sheep or goat with no defects, and then the Israelites would take some of the blood from that sacrifice and smear it on the sides and tops of their door frames. And then in Exodus 12, verse 13, God says, But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you, when I strike the land of Egypt. How amazing is that? I mean, this is, I think, in my opinion, even more of a, of a direct prophetic symbol than, than, the, than the snake one. And you think about God is commanding the, the Israelites to commit a sacrifice, right, to a sheep or a goat, and then to smear the blood uh, over their houses, right, so that when God is striking the firstborn males and animals throughout the land, he would pass over them, and his judgment would not uh, be on them. He would pass over them. This is exactly what 
God did through Christ. Christ's blood pays for our sins in that if we are washed by the blood, right, if, if we are covered in Christ's blood, God will pass over us on the day of judgment and we will not be judged for our sins. This is an exact prophetic symbol of, of Christ. And again, God's nature remains the same. And so, you know, you, you think about these, this is not a mere coincidence. We have a God whose nature doesn't change. We have a God who has had a plan from the beginning. Um, long before he ever created the universe, he had this plan. And therefore, even throughout the Old Testament, we see symbols and in, in God working in very similar ways to how he would work through Christ, kind of as a foreshadowing for what Christ would do. Um, so pretty amazing um, just to read these and, and understand their direct correlation to Christ. Even though they're symbols, they have that direct correlation um, to our Savior. And lastly, I really am excited to, to dive into these direct prophecies. I, th- I think these are really where you have to step back and just be amazed at God's reality. I guess that's really where I stand with a lot of these prophecies and why I think this podcast is so valuable is because when you think about the prophetic nature of the Bible, the only way the Bible has a prophetic power is because it's written by God. Um, and that's why we have faith in the Bible's inerrancy that it's um, God's authoritative scripture, and, and that it's true, right? It's, it's not a blind faith. It's, it's a faith that has a foundation. So the first direct prophecy I want to dive into is from Psalm uh, chapter 118, uh, verse 22. And we read in this verse, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. I chose this, I chose this one for a reason because it's, it's really unique the way uh, Jesus fulfills this prophecy. He kind of self-proclaims it, um, which I think is really cool. It's, it's also like, you know, you could say, well, he, he tried to be the Messiah. Well, definitely not. But I think he, when you read what he says, it's actually in Matthew 21 of 42 through 43. I'll read it um, because he directly fulfills it. But Jesus says, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders, re- builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is wonderful to see. I mean, he just basically says it straight up. I mean, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. Um, pretty cool, right? Just to even process that of of Jesus's uh, awareness of his his messianic, um, or that he is the Messiah, right? So pretty encouraging there to read through that and just know, um, you know, even Jesus's awareness, as we talked about earlier, of of what he was doing was a prearranged plan um, unto the glory of God, right? So. His obedience and, and his understanding of what he would have to face is even pr- quite incredible. And then really what I want to highlight the rest of the podcast is the prophet Isaiah. Um, and, and Isaiah has some pretty awesome prophecies, especially, uh, you know, chapters 52 and 53 are really highlighted amongst, um, you know, we talk about Messianic prophecies. Those are the most quoted um, for good reason, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through these and, and I just as the listener, just really try to understand God's incredible prophetic nature as we read through these. Um, I'll start in Isaiah 53, 9, um, because it's a very unique detail that is prophesied and, and a very interesting detail, and it just shows you know, God wanting to give us a level of, a, of confidence. And so in Isaiah 53, 9, uh, it's prophesied, it says this, He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Now, 
for those of us that grew up in church, we know that Jesus was buried in a rich man's grave. It's quite incredible. And, and we see this prophecy fulfilled uh, when Jesus was buried in the tomb of the rich man, Joseph from Arimathea. I think that's how you say it. Um, but it's in Matthew 27, verses 57 through 60. It says, As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which he had carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. It's so so amazing that God prophesied this and that Jesus fulfilled it. And he had no control over it. That's what's quite amazing, too, is that you know, Jesus was, was dead. He had no control over where his body would be buried. And so quite, it's quite amazing just processing this, um, thinking about it, and, and that Jesus actually fulfilled it, um, that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And so I want to move into now kind of focusing more on the nature of the Messiah and what he'd have to go through and the purpose of the Messiah. And Isaiah reveals this um, quite clearly uh, in, in Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 52. Um, but the most prominent Old Testament prophecies are those that point to his, his death and payment for sin. It was quite obvious that the Messiah would be a savior from something. Um, a lot of Jewish scholars and early Jews believed, and this is why there was a lot of unbelief in Israel, they believed that Jesus would, would be a war hero and he would defeat the Roman oppression. Um, but when you think about the prophecies talking about oppression, they often refer to sinful oppression, the oppression that sin has on our lives, um, not really the, the worldly oppression. So something key to note there as well. But I want to start by reading Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. It's prophesied, But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. <clears throat> you know, certainly when we read this, you know, you could you could think this is directly from you know from a from a New Testament writer or from an apostle or from a gospel writer. But this is from Isaiah. And and just a little fun fact, Isaiah and his writings are dated back to 740 BC roughly. Um, so 740 years Before Christ was born, Isaiah prophesied this. You can't even begin to think about how incredible this is, and and you can't even chalk it up to luck. There's just no way. Um, And just, it's amazing that this is exactly what Jesus fulfilled. This is exactly what Jesus did. You think about the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Certainly, Jesus was, was crushed and caused grief. Upon his, his death on the cross, he made his life an offering for sin. He has many descendants. When he sees all that is accomplished, he will be satisfied. Jesus was satisfied by his work. 
And because of his experience, and, and that means experience on the cross, he will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. That's the exact words of the scripture. I'm not even quoting that. That's exactly from the scripture. And it's really amazing. The Apostle Peter cites um, more of these prophecies, or just cites the prophecies in general. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, he says, He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter says, But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. I mean, it's, I'm just like, you know, it's, it's crazy because you read this stuff so often. I think we talk about it so often. And we, we become calloused to how amazing this really is. And that this is the only book in the entire world that has ever done this. Prophesied something that has actually come true. And so, you know, certainly this podcast is being released, you know, 10 days uh, before Christmas. And, and the Christmas holiday is amazing. We, we love Christmas. I mean, for so many reasons. But really what I want us to, to take away from this podcast and to take into our Christmas parties in the holiday season as a whole is just the beauty of the reality of God. God exists. God prophesied a Messiah that would save humanity from lawlessness and sin, and he delivered exactly what he promised. It's a prearranged plan, as Peter says in Acts 2, um, that the Messiah would suffer that the Messiah would come to the world as a human to walk alongside us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is the birth of the, of the Savior as a baby. God became an infant. The infinite became an infant. Pretty amazing, right? And, and God walked among men. And God went to the cross, a, a crucifixion tool. You know, it's crazy. We, we have this symbol of the cross. You know, it's tattooed. It's, I have a tattoo and a necklace of the cross, so I'm, I'm not making fun of anybody. But it's actually a tool of death that the Romans used for many, many years as a way to execute prisoners and lawbreakers. Yet it's the symbol of hope in the Christian faith. God defeated death. God defeated evil and God defeated sin through his suffering servant, which was prophesied. And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy that um, was committed to him uh, as the Messiah. So be encouraged. Um, it's, it's Christmas, right? It's time to, to, to have joy in our hearts, to celebrate with family, but don't forget to celebrate the amazing reality of God sending his son into the world to be a suffering servant for our iniquities. <laughs> God's prearranged and prophesied plan prevailed, and this is worth celebrating this Christmas season. Merry Christmas to you all. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern Time, as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.